Hey, I'm so grateful to have so many of you around the United States and around the globe here for a new season of 7-Minute Stories. This is season four. I'm Aaron Califato. You know, I'm always thinking about what story I should lead this season off with, and this one is fascinating. Before I got into the podcasting game, before I started 7-Minute Stories, I was touring a monologue around the United States, and this monologue in particular was about the student debt crisis in America. And I toured this show for about five years and it was an amazing adventure. And there's a lot more stories from that to come. But what I haven't talked a lot about publicly and I haven't told a story about is how that all got started. What's the origin story? That's what you're about to hear. It's a fascinating, strange, but true origin story for that adventure. And I can't wait for you to take a listen. Without further ado, enjoy. The HR lady says, you have all your stuff. I looked down at the cardboard box with all my stuff in it and I said, yeah, I do. And she said, come on, let's go. And she starts escorting me out of the building. And as we're walking, I turn to her and I say, is this really necessary? And she said, yeah, they want to make sure that you don't cause another scene. And you know what? She did have a point, but they deserved it. And I'm going to tell you why right after the music. One year prior to these events I just talked about, I'm sitting in my apartment in New Jersey trying to figure out ways not to come back home to Ohio because I had failed. In my mind, I failed as an actor. I didn't make it. I didn't build the career I wanted to. I didn't see 2008 coming and the disastrous economy. I didn't realize how much the crushing student debt from my undergrad would impact my ability to live out there. I didn't realize what it took to be able to live a creative life and sustain yourself in New York. I didn't do it. And I just didn't want to come home with my tail tucked between my legs. But I did. My fiance and I at the time came back to Ohio. And when I got back to Ohio, it was even worse. I couldn't find a job if my life depended on it. I was trying. I took public transit every single day to the library because we didn't have internet, couldn't afford it. My car broke down. So I had to go to the library, become a library regular, not reading books, but just using their computer so that I could send out my resume on Monster and Indeed. I did this from the morning to the afternoon. And then I did catering gigs in the evening, like 10 bucks an hour, working my ass off for nothing. I'm just looking for a basic salary. I had a bachelor's degree, just a basic salary, like $28,000 a year, $30,000 a year, just enough to be able to pay off my student debt and my rent. I just wanted to work so that I didn't perish. And the bills keep adding up and the rejection notices keep coming back and the eviction notices keep showing up on the door. There was so much freaking pressure. I didn't know what to do. And finally, I got an email from a college that said they wanted me to come in for an interview to be in their admissions department. And I thought my life had changed. And I think it was the pure excitement of just having a job that caused me to sort of black out during the interview and just kind of nod my head. Because the next thing I know, I'm on a plane to Chicago for specialized training. I'm thinking to myself on the plane, why am I going to Chicago if this college is in Akron? I get to this hotel in Chicago, I go into the conference room and I hear 
like house music. I see people with glow sticks. I'm thinking, am I in the right place? Where's the college admissions folks? <laughs> like, am I lost? No, you're in the right place. Okay. I go into the bathroom. There's a guy doing coke on the sink. I'm like, what is this? Studio 54? What is happening here? I go back out for the keynote. There's a guy on the stage with a chalkboard. He's in a white button up, slick back hair, glasses. And he's doing his best Alec Baldwin, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross impression. He writes on the chalkboard, A, B, C. And he says, A, B, C. Always be closing. Always be closing. Coffee is for closers. And I'm looking at all these hyped up, coked up dudes. And I realized what I was in for. And I started connecting the dots and remembering the interview with the lady saying that we're not a traditional college, we're a for-profit college, similar to ITT Tech and University of Phoenix, and that we're embedded in this low-income neighborhood in Akron, but that's okay because it's going to be good for the community, but it's going to be your job to convince these people to go to college. And I'm realizing now that I was just a salesperson. I mean, a high-pressured coked out salesperson who is going to get anybody who is breathing to go to college at this for-profit school I was going to work at. And in that moment, even before the plane ride back, before I started my first day, I'm like, I got to quit. There's no way I can do this. But then you're looking at eviction notices. You know, I'm looking at these notices. I'm looking at my student debt. I'm feeling like the failure I felt I already was and I couldn't leave. I figured let's be optimistic and let's just give this a try. And when I show up on my first day, it's exactly what I thought. I'm cold calling people who I shouldn't be calling people that are on the worst end of fortune. People who are walking off the streets, coming in, we're giving them fake tests to take to qualify them for college. And really what this was, was an apparatus was just a vetting tool for all the federal grant and aid money this university can get from these folks who are vulnerable to line their pockets. And I'm out front doing this. I'm a guy who's drowning in student debt. This is crazy. I'm drowning in student debt of my own and I'm recruiting other students, putting them in debt just to pay off my own. This is my life. But I felt like I had to just keep going. I did this for six months, tried to make the best of it. It's nice to pay my bills. It's nice to pay off my debt a little bit. But every single day when I would see the faces of people coming in, knowing what this place was about, knowing this was kind of empty promises, degrees that weren't accredited, this was criminal. I mean, it was criminal without being illegal. You know what I'm saying? And I knew that in my heart because I couldn't sleep at night. I knew the kind of person my parents raised me to be and what I expected of myself. And I couldn't do it anymore. So instead of making those sales calls, I started making warning calls. It started slow, one day at a time, one call at a time. But I started telling people about this place. I started telling them not to come here. When they would come in for their interviews, I'd shut the door and tell them the truth. I'd let them know to go to other schools and different options. I'd let them know that this is not the place for them. I just gave them everything I had because that's the only thing I felt I could do. And I was trying to fly under the radar until they caught me. And they did. The school caught me by tapping my prospective phone calls to students. And my manager, she's playing back these phone calls in her office in front of her as I'm warning 
people not to come there to be students. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't say anything. She walks me down to the president's office and those two start laying into me. How dare you represent this college this way in this community? And that's when I lost it. I said, you're reprimanding me. I said, you know what this is. What are you talking about? This is an, an institution of learning. I said, you two are a couple of fucking crooks and you know it and you know it. So fire me if you want to. My voice was booming and they did fire me. And that's why I was carrying my box of stuff and the HR lady was trying to make sure I didn't make a scene again. And I walk out into the parking lot. It's the dead of winter. Never forget this, February. Go out to my crappy Oldsmobile. I get in there, turn the key. It takes about 10 minutes to even warm up if I'm lucky. And I sat there looking out at the snow and I'm thinking, what the hell am I going to do? No job, can't pay rent, can't pay student debt. Is this it? Am I ever going to live even a piece of my dream? Am I ever going to get to tell stories? Or is this it? Broke, sitting in a crappy Oldsmobile. And I felt hopeless for one second. And then I didn't because I realized even if that's the case, at least I don't have to work for an evil corporation. And that felt pretty damn good. Seven Minute Stories is created and performed by Aaron Califato. Our senior audio engineer is Ken Wendt. Our resident artist is Pete Whitehead, original music by TJ Duke. If you or your company needs help starting a podcast, Aaron and Ken's company, Valley View, does just that. Reach out to them at valleyview.fm. Special thanks to our partners at Evergreen Podcasts, and I'm Corey Burse. Make sure to tune in next week for another story.